0: Hello, hello. It's Leah Pika. Summer has come to a close. The air is getting chillier, which I interpret to mean it's time to answer your most burning presentation questions on this Present Beyond Measure episode 28. Welcome to the Present Beyond Measure show, a podcast at the intersection of analytics, data visualization, and presentation awesomeness. You'll learn the best tips, tools, and techniques for creating analytics, visualizations, and presentations that inspire data driven decisions and move you forward. If you're ready to get your insights understood and acted upon, you're in the right place. And now, your host, Leah Pika. Hello, hello, and welcome, welcome to the 28th episode of Present Beyond Measure. Man, oh man, it has been quite a summer. I took a bit of a hiatus from the podcast because I had a workshop and speaking blitz. I had some awesome engagements with Elsevier, the Executive Assistant Summit, Kelly Blue Book, Brown University, Sierra Interactive, and a Web Analytics Wednesday. It was intense, but it was amazing, all amazing events. And it just reminds me how incredibly grateful I am that I'm able to help so many people this way. So if you or your company team are ready to create maximum impact by presenting your data and ideas, please don't hesitate to reach out to me either on my contact page at leahpica.com or the contact page at Search Discovery. At Search Discovery, we wanna help you make better decisions with your data, and I wanna help you present that data to enable those decisions. And we are ramping up for fall. I have some more engagements on the docket, and I've also been doing some really fun, heavy lifting work on the Domo platform, and I'm starting to just getting to know Google Data Studio. So keep an eye out for some really fun blog posts coming your way on creating brain-friendly data viz, on those platforms. Now, this is a very special episode that I've been excited to bring you for some time. It's just little old me, but I figured that we could use some us time after the break. So let us not waste any more time. On to the show. All right. So I have a confession. I have a podcast problem. I listen to many... Many podcasts, different kinds of podcasts, all kinds of topics. (laughs) I'm joining Podcasts Anonymous, I think, which makes it not anonymous now. But one of my favorite types of shows that I see or hear, especially in the entrepreneurial space, is when the burning questions of listeners get answered. So since opening my own coaching and training practice, I've actually noticed that When the Q&A portion hits, I start to see the same questions asked again and again. It's definitely recurring themes. And it occurred to me that those audiences shouldn't be the only folks who get to hear the answers. So today, I'm bringing you the top three questions I get at every workshop and conference and the not-so-top secret answers. And the first question on the list is... Where do I find good quality images to use in my presentations? So this gets asked because one of the key tenets of my signature talk, it's called Get Their Attention, is that Real-life imagery is one of the most powerful presentation visual tools at your disposal. There's actually research to suggest that a fact or a statistic paired with a powerful and relevant visual can greatly increase the recall of that information several days later, according to Dr. John Medina, author of one of my favorite books, Brain Rules. Highly recommend it. It will make you a better person. (laughs) But that is really key. And I'm not talking about clip art. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about powerful and relevant real-life imagery. So I take my audience through a number of scenarios that can leverage imagery to its full advantage during business presentations. But, you know, that being said, there's no question that it can be tricky starting to adopt this into your presentation practice. So I'll give you those tips right now. Uh, First, you know, you want to think about using the right photo. So you want to minimize the cheese factor. And I'm, I'm talking about the group of genetically blessed Ralph Lauren models in crisp bespoke suits, high-fiving each other while displaying an upward trending, ambiguously labeled line graph in a sunlight-drenched conference room with panoramic views of this mystical Shangri-La city. I've seen one or more of them <laughs> in my day. You want something that's going to look a little more grounded. So keep an eye out for that. Um, Another experience I had is when people try to use an image for the sake of using an image. So I once had a student in my workshop present a bar chart and labeled with Google and Microsoft. And instead of using the names of those companies or even the company logos, they used pictures of Sergey Brin and Bill Gates to represent the companies. And He did get points for ingenuity, (laughs) but to an audience member who might not be completely up to speed on the executive management of that company, that can actually be really confusing. So you really want to use imagery to accentuate a message, to create an emotional response Um, Even to break up a very text or graphically heavy presentation with section headers or important questions you want to ask the audience. One of my favorite diversions on the interwebs was a series of corporate stock photos produced by the cast of Horrible Bosses 2. Vince Vaughn and the cast got together for some really hilarious, very cheesy and contrived stock photos (laughs) in business scenarios. So if you want to have a laugh at that that'll be on the show notes page. So when I give those tips, ultimately people want to know where to get these quality photos. So I have a whole list that I can go through right now, but I want to tell you that really the most comprehensive list is going to be on the show notes page for this episode. And that's going to be leahpika.com slash 028. So here are some of my favorites. First and foremost favorite is Unsplash. Unsplash has these absolutely stunning professional photos that have vignettes and antique overlays and things like that. They just look fresh out of a Vogue catalog, they're very lifestyle oriented. You have a lot of landscapes, you have a lot of nature shots, lots of people, but you also have a lot of shots of technology and not just random floating pieces of technology, but technology being used in a real context. And the more contextually real uh, an image gets in a presentation for me, the more at home and, and connected I feel to that. So I highly recommend Unsplash as your first choice. Another reason I really love to use Unsplash is because they have something they call a do-whatever-you-want license. So you can use any of their photos for free, commercial, non-commercial purposes. You don't actually need to ask permission. You don't even have to provide credit to the photographer if you don't want to, but it is appreciated when possible. But basically, you can do your bidding, even wallpaper your garage with these photos, um, as long as you don't use it to create a competing service. So um, the sites, the free sites I'm going to be talking about are going to focus around those kinds of licenses so that you don't get in trouble with the picture police. Um, Another great source is called Death to Stock Photo. Death to Stock Photo has some really beautiful theme-organized photo packs. So they'll organize around food or different things happening in the world. They are all free. They come in your inbox. For me, it's like Christmas every week. (laughs) Um, So that's one to check out. There's also Pexels and Pixabay. Those are going to have much more of a selection. Um, And I think Pexels actually also incorporates Unsplash into its search results those are great for free as well. Gratisography is a very high quality site. And if you're looking for something a little off the wall and zany, some, this is a very crafty photographer. He's got quite an imagination. So very whimsical, beautifully rendered photographs. Another great free option is Flickr Creative Commons. So the thing is with Flickr is this is where the license becomes important. You don't want to just search for anything on Flickr and grab it and then go to a conference and use it to make a sales pitch. That's a big no-no. You really want to choose the Creative Commons license when you search Flickr and those are great for photography of actual places or actual objects that you're trying to hunt down. Um, But you really want to make sure you're using uh, for commercial use or non-commercial use with Flickr. Now, I realize that a lot of these lifestyle-oriented photo sites are not going to have exactly what we need for a more corporate-oriented presentation, so you may have to turn to some paid options. My favorite ones are Deposit Photos. Deposit Photos is very reasonably priced. I'm able to get packs of photos through a company called AppSumo. AppSumo. All of those links will be on the show notes page, but basically I've pay a dollar or less for a photo and they have a really, really, really wide selection. You're also able to search if you find a particular photo that you like, you like the model in that photo, you can also search for more uh, photos with that particular model. Big stock is another great option. um, And you might want to check your creative department, depending on how big your company is. If you have a creative department, it's highly possible that they may already have a subscription to a stock photography site. So take them for coffee, bring them to lunch, <laughs> get cozy with them and see if it's possible that they you might be able to leverage that relationship. So you're going to find all of those sources I mentioned listed on the show notes page, leahpica.com slash 028. All right, the next most popular question that I get, this is actually the most popular question that I get at every workshop and every conference, and I'm always so happy when someone asks it. It's a round presentation handout, so let me give you a little bit of context. The goal of my signature talk is to get the audience's wheels turning about how the brain absorbs information during a live presentation. This is not information we were given when we came out of analyst or marketer school and into the workforce. (laughs) And this is not limited just to us. So this means breaking common presentation patterns like stuffing slides with bullet points, repetitive slide fluff like footer bars and logos, I know, and presenting too many ideas, i.e. more than one main idea on every single slide. Now, After the buzz has died down and the head nodding has stopped, reality starts to set in for the audience that this is a major change and someone, it's like clockwork, inevitably stands to ask something along the lines of, but we create slides like this because we have to email them afterwards to people who aren't there and for the audience to reference. So we have to jam pack them with stuff. Uh, Or else we're going to be killing too many trees. And I'm always so glad when someone asks this because I've come to believe that the simple expectation to email our live presentation slides after a meeting across the globe in the corporate world is the root cause of the breakdown of why live presentations during work meetings is sucking the life out of everyone's day. And more importantly, not achieving the goal of the meeting, which hopefully is to inform and then agree on a plan of action going forward. So the pattern that I've observed over and over goes something like this. We create presentation slides that are suitable for emailing them out, and then we subject our live audience to them during the actual meeting. And for me, I have found that that doesn't serve either of those audiences terribly well. Uh, probably serves the offline audience better. But what I've found is that the real juice is in that live meeting. That's where you're establishing your subject matter expertise. That is where you're having a dialogue with your stakeholders. That is where you're creating visibility and indispensability for yourself in your organization. Because that is where presentations are a very powerful career-building tool. I want you to hear me on that. So serve the live audience and create that for yourself. And then how do we serve the offline audience as well? So I actually do have a solution for this and I wanna kinda walk you through it a bit now. I create two documents. Now this is where everyone goes, (laughs) eeeee, and clutches their chest as they pass out. And before you do that, just hear me out. I create two documents, but they are both based on the live presentation. So that is where my priority is. But I have a very specific process that I I go through when I create a new presentation where very early on in the content generation process for my presentation, I'm entering in thoughts that I have around what I'm going to say during the presentation, and I put those in my speaker notes. Sometimes I really write them out in a very conversational format, and that actually allows me to prepare a bit by getting my thoughts into that speaker notes section. That can be a great assistant during the actual presentation. Uh, If I'm using presenter view, especially, I'm able to see those notes and kind of keep on track with the key points I want to hit, but then the real magic happens after that presentation. So I make a copy of that live presentation. I take my new copy, I take whatever follow-ups or other questions people had that need to be answered. um, And I have that ready with me. I collect the content I need for those. And then I start going through the entire presentation, but I go through it from the notes page. So um, PowerPoint has a handouts option, And it makes for terrible handouts, (laughs) so don't use that. Use the notes page, which really nicely displays the presentation slide, and you can adjust it to display the speaker notes in a really readable fashion. So the point of the live presentation is that you are the main narrator during that process and that the audience needs you, you're indispensable, in order to take them through that narrative. But because the offline audience isn't going to have you as a live narrator, you want the speaking notes to act as the narrator for you. That's, that's the key to making this work. So sometimes I'll actually make those speaker notes pretty conversational and, you know, I'll, I'll inject some levity and whatnot in there just to keep things interesting because we are human beings and we're not robots. So I like to keep things professional, but light. And I just go through every page of the presentation. And sometimes if something's just a very simple image with a word or two, I cut it out. Sometimes I will consolidate, um, if I've used a chart on more than one page with different ideas, I'll consolidate that into one page because I don't want to kill the rainforests. And I make sure that each page is really easily taken through by the narration voice in the speaker notes. So, I have found this to be a tremendously effective approach for creating a live presentation that serves my live audience really well by incorporating neuroscience principles that appeal to how they are absorbing the information in that environment, and then adapting the content I've already created with a little bit of extra work, yes, but adapting it to the offline environment to take you through as if you were there. I can't describe the amazingly positive feedback I've gotten after using this particular process and for me I'm not saying it's the only way, the only solution, but for me it is a real solution that has worked to bridge the gap between this unique case that we have where we must send out the slides after the presentation. This is a nuance that TED Talk speakers don't have to face, Um, but I would think that in our live meetings, we're still challenged to not give maybe a TED-level experience, but we are tasked with creating an experience for them that leaves them changed and wanting and motivated to take action afterwards. So... If this is a method that you're interested in trying, I have created an entire blog post around it at leapikacom slash handouts. It is the number one post on my blog. That is how important I think this issue is. It's a reflection of that. So I would love to know how this works for you. All right. So the third most common question that I get, and this one is not a simple trick that you can use in PowerPoint or Excel this gets to the heart of culture within the corporate arena. And that is, you know, I I see all these changes that you're asking people to make visually, you know, use intentional color, don't use bullet points, but my boss really likes that. Or my management insists that we use that. Or our branding team says we have to use these things. So that is the question. How do I get My culture to shift to adopt the principles that you're talking about. Now, this is an interesting question, and especially of the place I am today, about how I view relationships, especially within a corporate context, and also at how cultures get created around things like using logos on every single slide and having to use very saturated color palettes and having to email slides before a presentation um, so people can read ahead. So in the past years, few years, I've studied extensively with a Tony Robbins certified relationship coach. And it's had a profound effect not only on my personal relationships, but also on the professional. And it really requires people taking a look at the human needs framework. So the human needs framework is really one of the most interesting behavioral frameworks I've ever come across. And once I've been able to put on lenses that see everyone around me as a human with needs that they're trying to fill rather than strategies they're trying to make your life harder, (laughs) Um, everything changed about the way I interact with people in a professional environment. So the human needs, there are six of them. Uh, at the core. So they are certainty. I know what's going to happen. Significance. I feel important. Love and connection, self-explanatory. Uncertainty and variety. Don't know what's going to happen and that's good. Growth and contribution to others. So that is actually the order that most people have in terms of importance for getting their needs met. And most people, most people lead with needing certainty and significance from everyone around them. So everyone wants to feel certain that they are going to have a home and they are going to have their job and their family is going to be there and significance that they feel seen and they feel important to others. So I have found that this is no less true for corporate environments, and a lot of the preferences that people have internally and cultures have internally are all about creating certainty and significance. So whenever something threatens to change something, especially in the certainty department, that can really uproot people. People don't typically like change, and it depends on how progressive your culture is. And if certain people are very attached to those practices already, they can feel a loss of significance that their opinion doesn't matter as much and what they think isn't as important if if something they've believed is starting to be uprooted. So that is something really important to remember as you bring some of these practices back to your culture. And one of the most valuable things I learned with my relationship team is... If people don't ask for coaching, you don't coach them. Seriously. (laughs) It's hard because you may know something that they don't, but oftentimes if they don't ask and you try to teach them, they can build a lot of resistance to that. So there's a really beautiful quote by Mahatma Gandhi that says, you must be the change that you want to see in the world. Meaning that if you want to affect change in your culture, model the change yourself master the presentation processes, and model them for your coworkers, for your bosses, your VPs, and your clients, and you very, very likely will start to find that they're going to be coming to you for ideas, for taking action, just maybe they will ask what you're doing differently about your presentations. That is what I found to happen with me, and it really set me on a very successful path wherever I was. Now, in case you try to make changes and they're not receptive initially, I can suggest making small changes at first. Sometimes I would remove an element that was very distracting and see what happened. Sometimes I would compare different chart treatments and ask my stakeholders what they really saw based on different principles. Um, You know, one thing you can do is you can notify your team that you've just heavily invested in presentation training because you want to amp up the value that you bring to them during meetings. So they may notice some changes and to ask you about that. But include them, you know, don't make anything too drastic and include them in that dialogue because you're going to be showing that you're taking these measures to bring more value now exploring the dynamics of stakeholder an analyst a marketer a practitioner it's a place that we're going to be delving in further in the coming months because I think this is another route of so much breakdown in communication and that's happening beyond just ugly charts and slides and that's actually again something that search discovery can help you do as well so don't hesitate to reach out if you want to talk about the culture of affecting change <music> All right, and welcome to the upgrade. A little tip for any of the presentation or visualization tools that we use that will take your stuff to the next level. So today's upgrade is pretty simple. I often get asked where do I get inspiration for designing beautiful presentations that have a minimum of clutter and maximum impact. And I'm not gonna lie, I'm by no means a professional designer myself. I scour the web for inspiration all the time. And one of my favorite places to get inspired is actually GraphicRiver.com. GraphicRiver is an enormous website that has stock photos, stock video, all kinds of different kinds of iconography, artwork, but they have Thousands of presentation templates for PowerPoint and for Keynote. And oftentimes I'll just plug in a particular color I'm looking for or a particular theme. And they have templates that you can either just look through or you can purchase for use. But these templates have hundreds and hundreds of slides with different kinds of iconography and agenda setups and different kinds of builds. And I find it to be a really rich source of design inspiration because everything is really beautiful and well-organized and the color palettes are really fine-tuned. So definitely check that out. Again, that is going to be on the show notes page for this episode. All right. And that is today's show. I hope you found these tips helpful for your next big presentation. And I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Present Beyond Measure show. If you like what you've heard, please, please hop on over to iTunes to subscribe, leave a rating and review. Ratings and reviews are extremely appreciated because they affect the rankings of the show and they help get this content out to practitioners like yourself. And I'll be reading out my favorite ones on future episodes. To catch all of the resources mentioned on this episode, and there were a lot, please visit leahpica.com slash 028. And I would love if you could leave me a comment or suggestions, because I want to hear about the challenges you face when presenting information, doing data viz quickly, anything else you'd like for me to talk about here. And today's presentation inspiration is from Buckminster Fuller, and that is, you never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. I feel like that's the perfect way to close out the theme for today's show. Be the change you want to see. Model it for others. Think about it. That's it for today. Till next time, namaste. And, um, you know, do we place love. Uh, when other, um, to invest... So you may be, um, I am not...